Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought, therefore no thought, for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought on the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this afternoon and encourage us and strengthen us through your word. May our faith grow this afternoon through the promises that are given in Scripture, through what you have instructed us in. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to take heed to the things that we have learned. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We find here as we get into the latter part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus has just begun His earthly ministry. He called His disciples, Peter and James and John and Andrew, and uh, He's told these fellows to follow Him. And just uh, about a month or so ago, we dealt with that uh, portion of Scripture, how that immediately... And straightway, these folks left their nets, they left their boats, they left their fathers and their families, and they followed Him. Without question, uh, they followed Him. The disciples were um, not what you would call, I I guess, church folks at this point, uh, so much as uh, they weren't religious leaders or those that were known for their piety. They were just plain fishermen. One of them was a publican who... A lot of people in that time period looked down on the publicans because of how dishonest they were, tax collectors. And uh, these were just ordinary men. And I'll tell you, there's a lot to learn from that. And, and one of the things that encourages me is to see the type of people in Scripture that God uses. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't pick the most talented. He doesn't always pick uh, the most righteous and the most religious and the most uh, outwardly clean. He picks men that he sees the hearts of them. And he knows that uh, they're rough on the outside, but their hearts are, are men of character and discipline. And so he, he invites these people. He tells these fellows, he said, I want you to follow me. And they immediately follow him, leaving their livelihoods behind. Now, I don't know of any of the other apostles, uh, whether they were married or not, but we do know that Peter had a mother-in-law, so at least we know of that one. Uh, you wouldn't have a mother-in-law, I don't, I don't think, unless you had a wife. Uh, I mean, if you're going to have to endure, I mean, uh, love a mother-in-law, you might as well have the wife to go with it. But uh, anyway, you know, in all seriousness, uh, we don't know a lot about their, their family backgrounds, but they did have to live. They had to, they had to make uh, money to be able to, 
uh, eat and to, to find shelter and to, to clothe them. And um, there's a good chance that maybe one or more of them may have had, uh, we know at least one did, and maybe more of them had families to look after. Uh, the custom and the tradition of the day was as your parents got older, even if you didn't have a family of yourself, you would take care of those older families, uh, older members of your family. And so these men had certainly uh, some things to learn. And so uh, it's interesting to me that uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Lord is discipling His disciples. He's, he's teaching them. Uh, I, I personally believe that uh, He teaches His disciples first, and there just happens to be a lot of people that listen in on what He's teaching his, his disciples and training them in. He teaches them some things as you take time to read through the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches them things they'd never heard before. They went against all the different philosophies that man had at the time and that we still have even to this day. Our, our, our human philosophies are, are in opposition to the things that God teaches. And uh, so he's beginning to teach them some things. And as we get to verses 19 and, and following, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven uh, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. I saw Brother Keith this morning, there's a, uh, a seeming paradox in Scripture in that we know the Bible teaches very clearly that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Uh, God created man to work. God put Adam in the garden before he even sinned to dress it and to keep it. He was designed to work. Man is most content when he's fulfilling the purpose God created him for. And that was to work and to labor with his hands and uh, with uh, the skills and the talents and the abilities that God has given to him. And uh, so as, as we uh, get into this place, we find that uh, working is certainly something that we ought to be doing regardless. The Bible says if we don't, uh, we don't work, we shouldn't eat. And then he gets to this place in Matthew chapter number 6, where he said, Take no thought of what you're going to eat. Take no thought of what you're, where you're going to sleep. Take no thought of the clothing that you're going to wear. And if we're not careful, we will misunderstand the context of this passage and we'll say that there's a contradiction in Scripture. God is not telling these men not to labor. He's telling them where to focus their labors at. And that is the key to this particular passage. He's not saying not to lay up treasures. He's saying don't lay them up in this world. Lay them up in heaven. There's to be a labor for the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's teaching His disciples these things. As we get to verse number 22, the Bible says that... uh, And by the way, let's look at verse 21 for a minute. The Bible says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I tell you this, you you can tell what a person's heart is like by looking at what they emphasize in their life. What's important to them? Uh, by the way, where your heart is is where your treasure is going to be too. The inverse of that statement is also true. What is it that we are interested in? What is it that our heart longs for? Do we long to please the Lord or are we longing for gain and personal acknowledge, uh, uh, fame and, and notoriety and, and uh, popularity? Uh, it certainly makes a big difference. So he goes on to say, verse number 22, "...the light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye be single..." Thy whole body shall be full of light, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. I preached on that passage, I think, about a year and a half ago or so, maybe two years ago. And uh, the idea that there's two different types of eyes that are mentioned here. One of them is the single eye, and that's the, the healthy eye, the one that has focus. 
And the other one is referred to here by the Lord Jesus Christ as the evil eye. And uh, the single eye is the one that has light. It understands. It's The way of God is clear. The path is clear. And their focus is in the right place. And then he contrasts that with what he calls the evil eye. And he tells us this in verse number 23. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of what? Full of what? Darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, he makes a statement here. This is not a question, even though it begins with the word how. Sometimes we read this as a question. He's not asking a question. He's making a statement. If thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? That's a great darkness. When the eye is not able to see clearly what it's supposed to and what it's intended to. And I I dealt with the issue, and I preached on this before, of where is our focus? Are we focusing on the right things? Are we focusing on God's purpose in life? Or are we focusing on man's purpose in life? And as we look at this, we find that the the healthy eye, and in the context of what we're dealing with here, is the one that looks to do God's will and God's purpose in life. Now, what is the will of God in earth? What what is His desire? What What is it that God longs for in this world? For men to be saved. For men to come to a saving knowledge of Him. And this is why He called these men. He said, follow Me and I shall make you fishers of... Men, I don't want you to go out here and do the baser things, the lesser things. I want you to have a high purpose. I want you to focus on the things of the Lord and that we put our eyes upon the things of God. It's interesting to me that over and over in Scripture, the Bible speaks of the fact of our eyes being in the right place. We find in Hebrews chapter number 12, when it says that we're to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and that we're to run with patience the race that is set before us, the very next verse says, looking unto Jesus. The strength to be able to do that, the ability to be able to run that race that is laid before us, comes from having our eyes in the right place. So important that we understand that our eyes need to be focused on the right things. In Colossians chapter number 3, The Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. What are we focusing on? And the importance of having a right focus. And so God gives a contrast here, and He uses, as He's teaching His disciples, He's teaching them that there are the higher things of God, and there are the lesser things of man in the world, the the things of this world. And He's saying, watch where your focus is. He says, if your eye is single, if it's looking to do the right things, then there's light in that. But if our eye is evil, if it's looking to the other things that are of the baser sort, there's great darkness. And he says, what a great darkness this is when the eye is evil. Then he makes this statement in verse 24. No man, what's the next three-letter word here? Can. No man can serve two masters. He's not talking about how difficult it is. He's talking about that it cannot be done. He's trying to get the disciples from a place where they are to a place where He wants them to be. He's trying to get them from having an evil eye to having a single eye, if you will. He's trying to get them to get their eyes off of the baser things of life and put them on the primary things of life of what God intends. 
And he makes this statement in verse 24 that I think is so imperative that you and I fully understand. Because we live in a day where there is a blending of these two among a lot of religious leaders and among a lot of churches, saying that it's okay to have a foot in the world and to have a foot on the things of the Lord. But God tells us differently in Scripture, doesn't He? He says it is an impossibility, it cannot be done for us to serve with a single eye and also have an evil eye. It's one or the other. I'm just I'm making the best understanding I can of this based on the context. Obviously, since Christ is teaching this to His disciples, obviously they do not yet have the single eye. There's obviously some problem in His disciples and in the followers He's teaching there that He's looking at and saying, these folks don't get it yet. They're, they're focused on the things of this world. Now, is it wrong to have a job? No, I'm not saying that. But if our primary focus in life is to get all we can and can what we get and sit on the can so we can retire in luxury, then our focus is in the wrong place. If that happens, if God prospers our work and our labor in life, and He allows us to, to have means, praise the Lord for it and we thank God for it, but that ought not be what my focus is. My focus ought to be to do first the things of the Lord. What is it that He has for me? What is His purpose in this world? And so He's, he's contrasting this. He's showing this. And, and, and I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, I'm going to tell you something really profound here. I'm going to be real intellectual. He said, if you're here, that means you're not there. And that's a simple concept, but that's what verse 24 is trying to tell us. You can't be both. You're either here or you're there. Now, he deals with this. As we get to verse number 24... He says, "Either you will love the one and uh, and hate the other. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Either you will he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon." Now here he's dealing with material things. He's dealing with uh, possessions and monetary things, and he's talking about this treasure, if you will. Remember where we started about laying not up for ourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal but to lay up treasures in heaven. So he's dealing here with the material things of this life. And then he goes on to say this in verse 25 to kind of back all of this up. He says, therefore, anytime you hear therefore, he's making a conclusion based on what he's established in the verses before it. So he says, therefore, I say unto you, take how much thought? No thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what shall drink, nor yet for your body. Now, does that mean we go out here and we sit in the shade somewhere and we say, well, God told me not to take any thought of these things. Is that what He's saying? No, because He also tells us in Scripture that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And the Bible does not contradict itself. He's using this as an illustration. He's using this as a comparison to give us the idea that the care that we do take to live in this life, to pay our bills, to feed our families, in comparison to what care we have for the things of God, ought to look like we have no care for it. Our primary thing would be to think on the things of the Lord, 
to follow after Him, to labor for Him. He says, when we do those things, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, and yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not your life more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Again, trying to teach the disciples. Understand where they're coming from. They just left their livelihoods. They just left their homes. They just left their families. I, I don't see them saying this in Scripture, but if you put yourself in their shoes, being simple men, fishermen, a publican, I imagine that these thoughts are coming through their head just like they would you or I. I just lost my home. I just lost my job. I just lost my family so I could follow Him. Now what am I going to do? And the hands begin to ring. And the anxiety begins to come. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Where am I going to live? What am I going to wear? These disciples were no different than you and I. You say, Brother Greg, why do you think that they were that way? Because Jesus says, O ye of little faith. They were here. And they weren't there. And they couldn't be both places. They have to either forsake that and cling to this, or they are forsaking that and clinging to this. By the way, the same principle that He taught His disciples holds true for you and I. You cannot serve God and mammon. It doesn't happen. We're one or the other. Notice He says this as we get down to verse number 27, "...which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature?" You and I don't have control of those things, do we? And why take you thought for raiment? I love this. He says, uh, I missed verse 26. Let's back up to verse 26. He says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Notice this. Are ye not much better than they? Can I tell you this? Jesus did not come to this earth and die for the birds. He came and died for you and I. He didn't come and die for the lilies of the field. He came to die for you and I. You know over ten times in, in chapter 6 alone, Jesus uses the phrase, your father. He doesn't say my father. He said your father. The, the same God in heaven that is my father is yours, is what He's trying to teach these disciples over and over and over again. He's like, why are you worried about these things? You're following after me. You're serving me. Don't you think my Father... No, let me back up. Don't you think your Father will take care of those things for you? Isn't that what He's saying here? The birds, they don't toil. They don't reap. They don't put anything into barns. And guess what? God feeds them. There was a fellow a number of years ago back when Sam Walton was alive. Sam Walton was the fellow that founded the place all you ladies love, Walmart. Can't stand the place. And, and the family of Sam Walton, uh, they're, they're wealthy beyond our wildest man. But Sam Walton in his lifetime was a very wealthy man, very wealthy man. And there was a fellow one time that worked for the Audubon Society and uh, new birds and his study fowl a lot in his lifetime. And he got some of his colleagues together when he came to this passage of Scripture. And they put together what they considered to be the best estimate of how many birds 
were alive on the earth at that particular time. They found out and they converted the amount of food those birds would have to eat in a day's time and what it would cost to buy enough bird seed to feed all the birds one day. All of the wealth that Bill Walton had did not even come close to paying for the amount of food it would take to feed all the birds in the world for one day. And guess what? Your father and mine feeds them every day. And by the way, aren't you more important to him than birds? Why do we have the evil eye? Why are we so concerned with the things of the world and not more focused on Him? We get to verse number 28. The Bible says, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. Over in Israel, uh, their lilies don't last very long. They bloom, and usually within just a few days, they're, they're already beginning to die and wilt. There's some over there that are of magnificent beauty. In fact, there's one I'm told that the closer you get to it, as you look at it under like a magnifying glass, and you get into the inner workings of that lily, that is one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen in this world. And it's only here for a few days. And they make, Jesus makes this statement, Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon, in all his glory, if you were to pick the, the highest day that Solomon had, and he wanted to impress the most he could ever impress, and he put on the finest garments, and he came out and he lauded his kingly glory, he couldn't even hold a candle to the lilies. The Bible says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Can I tell you this? Christ didn't die for the lilies of the field. He died for you and me. In the eyes of God, are not you and I far, far more important to Him than that lily? Why then do we have an evil eye? Why is it that we fret and worry and get anxious over these things? Why do I focus on? Why is that my lifelong ambition? To gain, to gain, to gain. Only to die one of these days and leave it all behind. Why not lay up some treasures that I can enjoy for eternity? Jesus told His disciples, and what He's trying to get over to them throughout all of this, fellas, you're here. I want you here. And you can't be both. You're one or the other. You either have the evil eye or you have the single eye. And He goes on to say here in verse number 31, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles think. And this is a generalized reference to those that were not His chosen people. The book of Matthew is written primarily to the Jews. They were not His children at this, at this point. The Jews had not been grafted in, but there certainly were Gentiles in the Old Testament that God allowed to come and be a part of that. 
But I, I just want to say that generally speaking, a reference to the Gentiles in this context is speaking of those that were not the children of God. For after these things do the Gentiles seek. This is what the world seeks after. It's not what a child of God seeks after. For your heavenly Father, there it is again, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of how many? All of these things. You know there's not one thing that you and I can bring to God in prayer that He's not already aware of? I know we know these things, but we don't think of that very often, do we? We think when we come to God in prayer that I'm sharing something new and fresh to Him that He doesn't even know I need yet, and I hope He can get to it sometime. No, He's known it all along. He already knows how He's going to meet that need or direct my life to live without it. Your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. He is not telling us in this passage that we're not to work, we're not to labor. He's just saying make sure that our work and our labor has the right focus. Do we care for our families? Absolutely. A man that doesn't care for his family, the Bible says, is worse than an infidel. We labor, we work, but that is not our focus of our life. We do those things to free us up so that we can do the work that God has called us to do. The primary work. Sharing the Gospel with others. Taking this wonderful news of this book to everyone in the world. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What kind of eye do we have? Well, Brother Greg, I you know, I, I love God and I, I'm serving Him. But boy, I really I, I have anxiety. I worry about and fret over these things. I'm focused on these things too. I, I, I just can't. I got both. No, you can't. The Bible says you can't. Our love, our heart is going to be for one or the other. We have to make a choice. We have to say, am I going to love mammon and seek after that for my life? Is that going to be my drive, my lifelong ambition? Or am I going to seek the things of the Lord? He said, Brother Greg, I know examples of men that have sought the Lord, have labored for the Lord, and their whole life was marked by want and need and even a martyr's death. Yes. But look at them now. Oh my. The glory that is set before us. Jesus trying to teach His disciples understanding where they have just come from. They've only seen a handful of miracles so far. They've not heard all of the teachings of Christ. This is just the beginning of His ministry. And He looks at them and He says, they're concerned about the lesser things. And I need them to be concerned about the greater things. I wonder what we're concerned with. What is it that our hearts love and pursue and long after? 
Do we have a single eye or do we have an evil eye? We can't do both. It's going to be one or the other. And if we're not there, then we're there. And if we're not there, then we're there. I hope that will help us. An interesting passage. Certainly a very helpful passage to us as Christians. To help us keep our focus in the right place. And I hope that will be helpful to you. Let's pray together and we dismiss. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. Help to guide our, our steps, Lord, every day throughout the week. Help us to keep our eyes fastened upon You. Lord, I know there are things in this world we have to deal with. But may our hearts be pursuing You. May our love, our affection, be focused upon You. Dismiss us now with Your blessings and with the messages upon our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.